This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the short code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler here in the studio with me today and live streaming on our Facebook group, the Short Coat Student Lounge. It's M2, Sarah Costello. Hello. M2 AJ Chowdhury is here. Sup. M2 Nicole Hines is back. Sup, nerds. <laughs> and MD PhD student Aline Sanduk hey. is here. I resent the slur, Nicole, but it's a term good. of endearment. Is it? Oh, good. Yeah. Good. There's nerd, different schools of thought. Nerd I love is, the Nerd tender. is good now. And if you thought that was all we had for you today, no, 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 no. That's where you're wrong. We also have with us. All the way from the internet, special guests, CECOM students, Pavani Gorapati. Hey. <laughs> and Vijay Kamalumpundi. Boom, you got it. Here to talk about their column in the university's newspaper, The Daily Iowan. Welcome to the welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you for having us. Great to be here. And we'll get to that in the second half of the show. But Pavani and Vijay, I hope you'll help us answer a question for a short code listener who's worried about her husband's upcoming clinical year. She signed her email, very nervous med school wife. So I'll call her Vin Mizwa, which you, you can work out why. <laughs> so here we go. Take it away, Vin Mizwa. My husband is a third year medical student, and we have made a difficult decision to live three hours apart during his clerkship year. My four year old and I will live near both of our families while I work full time as a nurse. We are planning to see each other at least every other weekend. Does anyone have suggestions for us? Or has anyone experienced long distance with a kid for this season of life? I will add that he can set up some of his own rotations in the same city as us, but the majority of his time will probably be away. Thanks for your help. Signed, Very Nervous Med School Wife. Thank you for your question, Vin, Vin Mizwa. I'm really... First of all, I'm really glad you have family support, and uh, I haven't had to do this myself, of course, but I'm certain that this is going to work out just fine. And the reason I'm certain is because if there's one thing I know about doctors and nurses, they figure shit out. Do you guys have any thoughts about this off the tops of your head? I, I, I know none of you have... Well, no, Sarah yet has not yet experienced this, although you have children and a husband and all that kind of stuff. Any yeah. thoughts about this? I did distance for a number of years in undergrad, but I feel like that's really different from medical school. And I wasn't married. I didn't have a kid. I was a lot further as well. But I think the frequency of visits will be really good, especially when things get stressful. Those will be a really refreshing time. I feel like it's going to it's easier for adults to be apart. It's a lot harder for a child to be apart from their Mm -hmm. parent. But if there was ever a good time to be far away from your loved ones, I feel like now is it there's more options than just like handwritten letters. You, know, you can zoom, they can see your face or or hear your voice as a parent. But yeah, it's it can be done. It's not easy, but it, it can be done. And it goes by quick. I feel like it really does. Yeah, no, I think I don't know. There, we have a lot of med student parents at CECOM, too. And I think a couple of them commented, didn't they? Nick, Nick they did. I do have one from uh, from Sally, who, who you might remember from our, I think it was epi- the third part of the parenting episode. Here's Sally. My husband and I have kids, and we had to live two hours apart for one semester of medical school. We did get to see each other every weekend. I would recommend FaceTiming slash video chatting every night and seeing each other as many weekends as you possibly can. I will say we were both so busy that the time went a lot more quickly than we thought it would. So hopefully it would be the same for you. I would go into it with understanding that it may be really hard on one of you or both of you uh, and just let that translate into lots of patience and compassion for each other. I remember kind of thinking at the time that I had the worst deal of the two of us because I had three of the kids and med school to deal with and he had one of the kids and a full-time job to deal with. But then a little bit later, I ended up being on a rotation 
that was separate from him and the kids. And I realized, okay, that whole time he actually had it worse. It's really hard to live apart from your kids. And he kept telling me that, but I didn't realize how lonely it can get until I experienced it for myself. So I guess what I'm saying is don't fall into the trap of thinking one of you is suffering more than the other. Just try to have abundant empathy and grace for each other during that time. That sounds like fantastic advice. Can I tell you, I've never had anyone respond to a thing of like, be more mad at each other. That's definitely (laughs) the solution. I feel like you can never go, like it's never the wrong thing to be nicer, to be kinder, more understanding, have empathy. Be be sure that you carefully uh, and transactionally compare your situation to your spouse's. Keep count. Keep, keep track. Yes. In points form. Definitely. Yeah, for use, extra success of resolving the conflict. hash marks. <laughs> and, keep a scoreboard yeah. in, in a place where you will see it every single, in fact, every minute of every day, ideally. Yeah. yeah. Your partner gets evals every month. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Operating at the level that's of intern. You, that's how you show. Five. That's how you show love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Through through bitterness and anger and measure success. Absolutely, yes. it's the only way to measure success. That's actually. right. Um, how cool is it though that Sally could give advice from both sides? Because that's the first thing that I was thinking when I heard that listener's question. Like that's mm-hmm. going to be so tough on both of them for different reasons. So yeah, just so great that Sally could just reassure that yes, it's going to be hard for both of you, but just have understanding for each other's situations and you'll get through it. <laughs> Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And a year's a long time, but I, I did have a, a suggestion. Sally mentioned FaceTime. And uh, I have heard of med student friends being forced to be apart during certain periods of med school, say for, you know, when they were doing dedicated, right? That's a time of isolation. And, and mm-hmm. if you don't know what dedicated is, that's when you, you become a hermit while you study for step. And, you know, you cease all interactions with other human beings in order to give yourself the best chance for vacuuming knowledge into your brain. That sounds amazing. If only it worked that way. Sarah is here for that. <laughs> um, and so what they did was they basically just had it on in the background while they worked together. They they it, This actually seems like something I'd want to try in this situation. Just having dad present in some form while he did his thing or whatever and she and her son does theirs might be nice or at least better than not being present at all i did try to think of like a technological solution to this aside from just recommending facetime and i uh, remembered that facebook portal has is a thing oh yeah i've seen commercials for that but i don't know who all is has used that and well yeah like i don't know it's 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 not been something i needed i've used zoom for this sort of thing, but Zoom has really cornered the market. Like yeah. whoever had stock in Zoom never has to work again, nor will any of their descendants. Basically, I, the, I can only imagine. But the thing I haven't done is basically used it as a virtual presence kind of thing, which is what I'm describing, which is what I'm thinking of. So there are several devices to choose from that claim to offer a really nice way of interacting on video. It they all have uh, all the devices have a smart camera that automatically pans and zooms to follow people as they move about the room. And so that might be nice, especially if you're dealing with a four-year-old who is constantly moving around the room. I don't know how well it works. One, I do know that one problem with kids and FaceTime is that they tend to go ape shit when they're on camera. Sarah knows this. They tend to go bat shit crazy because, I don't know, something about the view of themselves on camera. And I hated this. I absolutely hated being a part of a call like this. Hmm. with grandma and grandpa while the kids were like running around in the background delighted with their images you gotta get ready for their tiktoks it was the worst and so i would advise maybe you can't you can't seem to turn that off in facebook portal that self-view thing so just get a piece of cardstock and tape it up over the (laughs) onto the tv there is a tv appliance by the way you can Get a, like a little $99 camera you put on top of your TV, and that's your Facebook portal. There are other standalone devices, things like that. And you can, of course, use it on your computer and stuff like that. But anyway, point is, tape up that little window, that little self-view window, 
so that you can actually enjoy yourself. You know what I was just thinking about? The time before when cameras were integrated into computers and you had to get a, like that shitty little Logitech like mounted the eyeball camera. Looking thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. They've come a long way. They still make those, but like that didn't used to be a thing. And then there was a time where like it all switched over and like all computers ever have a built in camera and they're really nice. But I feel like we live in an age when this particular problem is solvable. Yeah. At least to some to some degree. It won't be the same, of course, as having that person in the room with you, but if I were in this situation, I would probably use Discord. That's interesting, interesting, I use it all the time. Because, I mean, a lot of the things that you can do is Zoom. You can do it that. You can do the video. You can do voice. That's you text can play chat, video games. You can share your screen. I was thinking with the kid, you could do screen share, read them some stories at nighttime yeah. where like it can be interactive with them. I don't know what the learning curve for using Discord is, but if the other family members could use it, they could have a family text channel where... They could post pictures of the kid or different things the family is doing so that they feel a little more connected that way. I think Nicole has the best answer. You can play video games with your kids on Discord. Yeah, because, you know, four-year-olds in video games are going to be fantastic. (laughs) Exactly. My four-year-old just learned how to use... um the, my four-year-old and my six-year-old were playing with the, the Switch, mm-hmm. Nintendo Switch, the other day for the first time. It was kind of amusing. So, I don't know. Any any other parting thoughts? I did have, like, a just an idea. Having a little... For the for the kids, like, to, to get them in a more calmer situation with the whole Please. running around on camera thing. Volume spray. No, but, like, some, like having a, a routine where, they, where you do the cool, like... Nicole mentioned for the bedtime stories or making sure you have family dinners together on the on the FaceTime regularly or something. Just having it a routine might be. Yeah, it might eventually take the Yeah. The clouding for the camera thing out of the yeah. out of the equation. Yeah, they'll get used to it. I don't guarantee it. Sounds like a very very specific to you. I don't think so. I think yeah. you need to no. have a child. I don't know. Mine don't mine don't do that. What mine like to do, it depends whether we're on the computer or on the phone. If we're on the phone, they'll immediately take the phone, insist that they want to talk to whoever it is, but they won't hold it up to their face. They'll like hold it down so the person can see the ceiling fan and then they'll, <laughs> they'll they won't talk. They'll just like walk around with the phone. It's like oh, weird. You can power just hear trip. the person like <laughs> across the room trying to talk to him and they just like yeah. Let's be honest here. Children are dumb. I mean, they're dumb in a nice way. They're they're dumb in a way that eventually they will not be dumb anymore. You know, one day your kids are going to watch this. You're going to be like, Dad. (laughs) Oh, please. This is the the shit I tell my kids every day. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll be a surprise to them. Fair enough. I wanted to to teach my children. I I wanted to teach my children uh, sarcasm. And, gotcha. and 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 wow. I and I have That's done it. Great I have done it. I can life. tell you that they're thirteen and seventeen now, and I have done it. Do you regret it, or are you still like Only happy very with that? <laughs> you know, I, rem- I try to remind myself: you reap what you sow. I forget that your kid is seventeen. Jeez. I remember meeting one of his kids when he came in. At, when this was a computer lab, I was just hanging out because he had the day off school and he was about this big. Yeah. And the next time I saw him, he was about that big. Yeah, yeah. And I was pretty unhappy about it. Yeah, yeah. Not that much time <laughs> had elapsed between our meetings. So. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I think getting back to our suggestion, my suggestion of using technology to ameliorate, you know, the, the distance, even if it sucks, find a way to do it. Keep experimenting, keep iterating, keep working on it because yeah, it's it's only a year, but man, as a parent, it goes by so fast anyway that you don't want to miss a year. And do and whatever you do whatever you got to do, yeah, to, to make it work. And even if it means that he does have to travel home every single weekend if he can, then that's, be worth gotta, it. then that's what you got to do. It'll be worth it. I think the most important thing is to keep the lines of communication wide open. Because when you're not together in person, you're missing out on a lot of the body language and the, the, the body language cues that signal that like someone's unhappy, but they're not saying anything about it. So you really have to be explicit about what you're thinking yeah. and what you're feeling. Yeah, Sarah, what do you think? Well, we talked a lot about talking to the kids with the technology and stuff, but that's the other thing to make sure you just keep communication open with your partner. Like you weren't just sending texts when you think of them and stuff like that's that's going to be really important too. And when you make a plan, try to stick to it. 
so I just realized I, I went long distance when I moved to Europe many years ago and my partner was still in DC. And at that point it wasn't just being far apart, not, not easily being able to get to each other, but there was like a six hour time difference. Mm -hmm. And so scheduling time together was extra hard. And something I remember being supremely bad at was keeping my, like my Skype appointments at that point. Like I, I was working in a lab over there and so I would run late and then I would get home an hour late for our appointment and that was important because by that point it was completely it was night and day for that person so luckily they were really good about letting me know that they were unhappy about it so I could do something <laughs> about it but Isn't that lucky yeah there's a, so the other thing people should be mindful of is like y you also need to let people know about the stakes of how you're feeling so like it would be nice if is very different than I'm at my breaking point and I need you to do something about this before I completely go off the edge yeah. as opposed like it really signals the urgency of what you're feeling. So on the plus side, Ven Mizwa couldn't remember her name. Ven Mizwa won't have to deal with the annoying things that her husband does, like leave the towel on the bathroom floor or snoring, snoring. It'll be great. Not putting dishes away. What if she away? grows to miss those things? She won't. Maybe she likes the sound of snoring. Sarah could confirm this does not happen. Uh, oh, but there'll be all the annoying things that the children do and just her to clean up after them. That's going to be tough. But she does have family she support. She does have two sets of family yeah. in the area. Which I wonder is, if her husband's going to be Don't be scared like, to reach out to the yeah. family. That's yeah. Oh, no. I don't have to change diapers. Woe is me. That's <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunate. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. It's hard. It's going to be hard. But lower, okay. lower the standards for mess. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 That's probably going to be key to... That they never come back. Key to... They just don't come back <laughs> if you lower the standards. <laughs> All right. Ven Mizwa, thank you. Let us know how it goes. Thank you for sending us your question. I wish you and your family... Mr. Ven Mizwa. Mr. Ven Mizwa. <laughs> I wish you both um, luck in and you're going to be you're going to be great. It's going to be fine. All right. Our special guests, as I said, are here to talk about The Doctor Is In, which is a, a column, a regular column on our local newspaper. And Pavani, this was your baby, I think, from the beginning. Why did you want to do this? Yeah, so I was, you know, an M1. I had just finished my M1 year and I was inundated with all the sciences and I was actually a history major in undergrad so I loved to write so that was a big part of like my undergraduate experience that was a big part of me growing up I've always been somebody who loves to write that's how I express myself and I've always been interested in medical journalism but I felt like after the end of my M1 year I was just so exhausted and just kind of I didn't really find a balance and kind of incorporating the humanities that I love so much and I felt like this was a way that, you know, we could incorporate this for everybody and not just for me to have an outlet. This is something, you know, my friends have, are really interested in writing and they have very strong voices and strong opinions about current topics. And th that's kind of like the impetus and like why I decided to start this. Like after that, after that M1 year, I was like, I got to have some more balance in my life. And, and I think it would be beneficial for kind of all med students to have this opportunity if and, they want it. And you're an M4, but you started this in 2018. 2018, yeah. So the summer of my M1 year is when I, at the end of, so summer between my M1 and M2 year. Okay. And so did you have to convince anybody to do this? Like yeah. the editors of the Daily <laughs> Iowan or your... My next question yeah. of like, so how'd you do it? <laughs> like yeah. walk us through the blueprint for our listeners. Yeah. So I definitely had to convince people. So I definitely had to pitch this idea and like pitch to the Daily Iowan and to the then editors. So Gage, Miss Kimmon, he was the then editor-in-chief of the Daily Iowan. So I had a pitch meeting with him. And, you know, I just kind of like I wrote down the proposal. I like presented to him in person and kind of talked about what the details would look like. And the vision that I had initially come up in with shifted a little bit just in order to like fit their needs and their goals. But it was very much in line um, with the overall picture. We wanted together, we we're discussing that we wanted the articles to really focus on the health of undergraduates since it is the Daily Iowan is an undergraduate newspaper. So medical topics that would be relevant to that population as well so that was kind of the process it definitely involved like a pitch meeting and getting them on board but they were super excited and then also finding advisors here at 
CECOM. So I talked to Dr. Colgin, who is part of the Humanities Distinction Track, and he has the medical ethics class. And he pointed me in the direction of Dr. Brittany Bettendorf, and she has a love of writing and humanities, and she served as my initial advisor while kind of getting that column started during that my M2 year. And back then she had an, an elective for editorial writing for medical yeah. students. Did you take that class or... I was going to take that class, but it just kind of didn't fit into my schedule, but I got kind of one-on-one mentorship from her, so I felt like I was in her class. Listeners, if you ask us a question, it means that I don't have to make something up to talk about on the show, and the show becomes what you want it to be. So send your questions to theshortcoats at gmail.com or leave a message at 347-SHORT-CT. We'll talk about it on the show. So... What did you have to learn about before the first column was turned in? I think a lot of it was more that initial stages was just kind of being like a manager and just being an editor. It's not wasn't so much about writing at the initial stages. It was much more about deadlines and getting people to turn them in and producing and giving its polished piece for the de- editors of the Daily Iowan because they are already swamped. They have daily pieces that go out every single day. So getting it to them in a time frame that's early enough where they can run it on a set day was imperative. And So for, are you for, serving as ed- as an editor then of The Doctors yeah. In? So oh, okay. Did, yeah, so Vijay and I, we he's mainly taken over the role primarily over the past Oh, thank year. God. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Um, and he's done a phenomenal job. And so what 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 I was doing in the past and what Vijay is currently doing is he like kind of goes over the articles that are submitted. And I think Vijay, you can talk more about the process in terms of what that looks like. Yeah, please you. please do, yeah. Yeah, so what happens is those those authors they send us the article first and then we vet it and then we look at the scientific content, see if it's all sound and, and all and then we send it over to the opinions editor and then they kind of make the final like finishing polish on it and then they send it out. So it's a pretty quick process. What I've learned is that it's it's really hard to hold back like our style, like we all have our own style of writing. And so it's hard not to put your style with the author's style. Like you have to you have to step back and just edit purely out of content and not from a stylistic standpoint. That's been a challenge for me personally, but it's been a ride so far. But I, I think one of the things I wanted to know about too is the wrangling aspect of this. Do you, because one thing I like I've I've seen a lot of great projects proposed by students, and at some point some of them succeed. And the most common reason that they don't work out is because nobody has time to do it. It sounded like a great idea. There's always, it was a great idea. Yeah, there's lots of good ideas, but turning ideas into reality, it, there's a lot of things that have to happen between those two steps. Yeah. Right. And so I guess my question is, what did what secret, what magic did you guys have in making that happen? Because I haven't really quite discovered it yet, other than warning people like, okay, great, fantastic idea. I want to help you do this. Just remember, you've got to figure out a way to to organize it such that it will continue even when things aren't going, even when people are too busy to do it. Well, my first thought is like, you did the number one thing, which is you fostered a successor, someone to inherit the project from you. Because that, I mean, that really is the kiss of death for any new endeavor is like, is there anyone to take over when you leave who's as motivated and as invested as you? And in an ideal world, get someone in on the ground floor and you start like, oh, I hate to use the word grooming, but in this case, it's a like a, a good grooming, a good, not, a, a, not good a super shitty, abusive grooming, right. but like <laughs> preparing. Yeah, like really but grooming, grooming someone to be a good leader and making sure that they share your values and that they, they that they're invested in getting them in on the ground floor. So I think that's you did the best thing like right off the bat. So well, do you agree? But, but tell us more about the wrangling part. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I totally agree with what you were just saying. Uh, Vijay reached out to me and, you know, he was initially enthusiastic and I saw that he would be a great fit to kind of take this over because I was looking, you know, as becoming an M4 to like find that predecessor and to somebody who's just as passionate. But in terms of the wrangling, that was definitely something that I struggled with during my M1 and M2 year to kind of how do I balance classes and make sure that this is sustainable, not just for me, but, you know, for people in CECOM years after, how can you maintain this? So initially I was kind of 
wrangling with the idea of having a bi-monthly column, so two articles per month versus one article per month. How often should these articles come out? And I think that was a big, big thing. It's managing because it's all about execution for me. You know, you have so many ideas, but it's how you execute it. And so I really thought what I can manage is like one article per month. Doable, it's manageable. It's not a huge time of commitment, but you still get ideas out there and you still get student pieces out there. For So for me, initially, that's how I kind of wrangled with bringing this idea and kind of cementing it to fruition. But at Vijay, I don't know how you've been doing this past year, but... I try to give like a clear message to the people that are interested in like our column, like what's the time commitment going to be? What's the process going to look like? And if we're clear up front, we, we get a lot of response. Like usually if if I send an email out, we're, we usually get like 15 or 20 writers that submit articles or like interest ideas within like the, the week. And now we've expanded the column. So now we have other schools coming in and we have more than that. So wait to go. That's yeah. awesome. So that, that's sort of what I was wondering. How how do you go about recu- recruiting writers and um, do they come to you with their own ideas? Or how does that process sort of work for you guys? Mm-hmm. So I've kind of adopted Pavani's model. So she sent out a Google survey with like name, article idea, like that you'd like to pitch to us. And then I added like, when would you be available to write? Uh, and typically these these articles are like less than what is it less than 400 words Pavani? is that it that's going to be my next question yeah how so like, like two super like super short like a two minute read and it, that's really a short time commitment for like us med students who write a lot for like mass and stuff right mm-hmm. um, so yeah so we usually pick articles that are like super fresh that are like super relevant to the population that are like specific like if someone pitches women's health, well, there's a lot that goes into women's health, right? So we want like specific topics and we usually pick those to, you know, go forward. Do you, I know this is not, it's kind of specific to our, our school and not, not maybe the schools that the listeners are at, but do you send that call for articles over like the OSAC listservs or over Facebook? How do you, how do you put that call out there? So initially what I did, I did it on Facebook to each of the, you know, class Facebook groups. I did it on the group me's, like the class group me's for my for my classes. That was initially how I did recruitment because I wanted to test it out. And then now Vijay has kind of like sent emails to like deans of the other colleges like dentistry, like PT, nurse, like you can talk about that, but that's initially how I got the outreach out. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and what we've done, what I've done is get recruitment directors for each of the each of the health sciences colleges. And now they're in charge of like recruitment and then they all report back to like us as a team and then we decide like what articles we want. So you're you're building an empire. That's <laughs> Yeah. That's great. That's you're bu- you're building a you're building a uh, you're building a group of minions. Right. You know, that's the other key to success is delegating. Mm-hmm. And as opposed to like you going out there and finding every single person who might write an article, you're finding the right stakeholders, getting that message to them, and they're getting it out to their respective populations, which is, yeah. It like seems like an two. awfully exclusive column now. There's dozens of people submitting articles every time you guys put a call out. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great time. I haven't seen your name on there, AJ. So, oh, really give me, give me, uh, give me at least two calls. <laughs> I'll send something your way. <laughs> what level of like writing experience are you looking for? Do you? I mean, it, it kind of sounds like probably people of all different writing levels get in touch. People who are, have a lot of experience, people who are kind of new at it. Does that factor higher on your, I guess, criteria of selection versus topic, or is it kind of a mix of both? So kind of when I first started, topic was really important because for me, this was an opportunity for anybody who is interested in writing to write. That was the main goal of it. So it didn't matter to me your level of experience was really, really high. You've been writing for 20 years or you wanted to try. As long as content is there, we can edit it to get it to where we need to be. And kind of the initial guidelines that the then editor in chief was like, there's only four like main things that we needed to hit. They need to be relevant in the undergraduate population. The medical language needs to be kept at the eighth grade level. The article should be around 400 to 500 words and should have a headline and summary and all that social media post, whatever. But those were the only guidelines that and requirements that we put out. So 
really anybody could write. And that's what we wanted. We wanted a variety of voices, regardless of your experience. That's awesome. Is this this project something that you're using for your humanities distinct tractor? Are you doing that? Yeah. So this initially it wasn't for my humanities distinction track initially, like initially I just kind of wanted to do this. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, I can actually use this for my humanities distinction track. So, so then I just kind of combined the two. Can I tell you, I feel like the people who have the most personally satisfying distinction track experiences come up with a project first, do all the legwork and then reverse engineer it into a distinction track. Cause I was talking to Sam, Ziemba, I'm not yes. sure how you pronounce your last name, but we were talking about the service distinction track and we were kind of walking through all the requirements for something I'm working on. And she like kind of like offhand was like, yeah, a lot of people will fulfill all the requirements, which like there's a lot of volunteering and like clinical rotations in underserved areas, things like that. And a lot of people will come into med school, do all of that. And then when they get to the point of actually coming up with a project, they're like a little burnt out. They don't really know what to do. And so they've done all that work not for nothing, obviously, like there's value in volunteering, but in terms of like achieving the goal of getting the distinction track, they they kind of they're a little bit at a loss of like what to do at the end with all of the experience that they have. But what she was like encouraging me about is like, you've already done a thing. Now we have to fit it in, like kind of carve it down to fit the requirements of this distinction track. And I was like, awesome, because if I had started the other way, I don't think I like it's a good point. Yeah, you you yeah. You, you actually have a product basically. Yeah. Like I, I I could imagine myself as a first year student signing up for the distinction track and, but like not having a thing in mind and then feeling a lot of pressure to come up with something. Yeah. But like what I'm hearing Pavana saying is Am I saying that right? Pavana? Pavane. Pavani. Pavani. What I'm hearing Pavani saying is that like she pursued a passion, did something that was meaningful to her, and then kind of backtracked into like un- putting that project under an institutional umbrella and getting the recognition for the work she's already done. Yeah, and that's sort of what the Humanities Distinction Track is about. And maybe in a way that the other distinction tracks aren't. Like, we're not here to say, no, you can't do that, or yes, you can do. We're not the gatekeepers, and we want to reward you for the things that you would be doing anyway with some sort of recognition that you've you know, put it to use in your medical education life basically i think that's a product of like kate's teaching philosophy too kate the who is the the director of the distinction track she like she's very permissive i think she's she's interested in supporting students and like whatever they want to do and like is very flexible around the requirements but a great facilitator for student creativity so a long way of saying if you're at ccom or if you plan to come to ccom you should f- absolutely find a way to work with Kate the Shark, she's amazing. Retweet. Yeah. Um, you can't just <laughs> hundreds of yeah, times. <laughs> you can't say that in real life. You can't just but say if retweet. you're at a computer, do the do little. It. That's not how it that like works. The, the carrot or like the the thing you point at the what was said above you. Yeah. <laughs> this. There, there's something about the story of like putting this together, Pavni, that I really enjoyed hearing you say. You said you made it through first year, and I, I don't remember the exact words you used, but like you were overwhelmed. And you didn't have that thing that you really loved that you felt was a part of yourself. And you found a way to incorporate that and bring a little more. I don't know that joy or happiness is exactly what it brought, but to not lose that in just I'm busy, I don't have time. Yeah, because I think that happens a lot with medical students. It seems like the only like the way a lot of medical education is structured, the only people who are able to do that are like really the the most gifted students who can manage the workload and on top of that like pursue a passion but what would be nice is if med schools took that more into account as like took our humanity into account i should say and what? like blasphemous i know i know i, I like shut I, up and memorize i had the thought and i got triggered myself but yeah like it, it, and I think, I think a lot of schools i think a lot of schools are doing that i i, yeah. I like to think that we were among the first I'm moving in the direction of creating but, the room for students to pursue these interests right and i've said this on the show before part of this came from part of the way the reason med schools are like are the way they are was because of the flexner report and how it should be all about science Uh, all about science i'm not sure that's common knowledge by the way it isn't it isn't i just learned about it relatively recently but 
you know, the point is that's that report basically upended medical education, which kind of sucked at the time in the early part of this uh, part of last century. Everything that was to be known about health could be fit on like a a note card. But also (laughs) people were like, oh, I'd like to I'd like to learn more about the human body. So I'm going to pour vomit in my eye. Like here, have this cocaine to fix all of your problems. (laughs) So, you know, what a time to be a doctor. You have have ghosts ghosts in your blood. blood. (laughs) (laughs) The flexion report came along and said, no, this is not this is not the way medicine should be. It's going to be all about science. We're going to exclude everything else from it. And so that created generations of physicians who were just doing that. And of course, it ignored the humanity part of medicine, which I think a lot of people would agree is very important. Shortcoats, if you're enjoying our conversation today, I'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on Instagram or Facebook or tweeting about us. And don't forget to tag us in your post. Thank you. Does writing these columns come easy for you guys like when you when you do you guys still even as editors you still write i assume does, does it come easy or do you really have to work hard at it i mean it, it's a it, they're pretty short but one of the things i wonder about is is how much time do you have to spend on it and how much effort do you have to get in to extend in just getting the information onto a page i think for me when i when i was kind of in the thick of it it you know depended on the writer that i was working with and i didn't necessarily mind in terms of how because i had limited to one article per month i didn't necessarily mind if it required a little bit more time or not but i think it really was like topic dependence and author dependence just kind of what their vision was and really communicating what their goals were so i mean i don't think i can like say oh it was this level of hard every single time because i think it varied by article but I totally agree. And I've some some of the articles have taken me like four or five hours to like hone in on the, what the message was. And now I don't do this alone anymore. I have uh, a friend from the College of Pharmacy. Shout out Riley Moore. He's listening. He helps me edit the articles and it takes me at least an hour and a half or two hours and we can get it out there. Yeah. Do either of you have an have a journalist or writer in mind as an inspiration when you started doing this? That's a good question. That's so profound. I don't I think. Know. <laughs> you know, that is a great question. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Just to like answer that for me, I mean, I typically like read a lot of the opinion pieces and some the major journal, like newspapers kind of all across the country. I don't really necessarily have one that I follow religiously, but you know, there the New York Times opinion column. I follow that Wall Street Journal opinion column, just kind of like all over, just kind of to see kind of what the vibe is, what the beat is across the country and what people are talking about. So I have a question that I think, Pavni, you can answer right now. Do you feel like writing uh, this column has helped improve your patient communication skills? I think for me, speaking for myself, I think writing has definitely helped me kind of understand my patients a little bit more and have a little bit more humanity and empathy towards, you know, the problems that we're discussing. Because, you know, when you're writing something out, you have to really think about the problem at hand and how you want to communicate it. And like a lot of those skills are transferable when you're having patient interactions. So, I mean, I I think there it is a benefit in both ways because it requires you to be a little bit more thoughtful just with every piece that you write and everything that you do. And I, I try to take that to my patient encounters in clinic every single day. How many of the pieces that have come through this project, how many of the pieces are educational and how many of the pieces are opinion? Is that a thing that you have done? Have people done opinion pieces? There have been opinion pieces in the past. So like during COVID, like the height of COVID last year, two of my friends wrote an opinion piece about kind of the Asian American discrimination that was mm-hmm. occurring and how it relates to kind of the current, you know, COVID-19 crisis that was going on. So it's definitely been far and few fewer in between in terms of opinion pieces, but we also like welcome that and we have also published that. Right now, I don't know, I for me, when I was doing, I would say like 80-20 would be kind of the breakdown, 80% kind of really medical knowledge and 20% opinion pieces. But. You know, someone um, I want to highlight, sorry, I know this is a lot to- off topic, but to come back to the, the question that Dave posed about, like, do you have any like journalist inspirations? I was just thinking back to when I met Larry Altman, which if you don't know him, he's, I think, probably the only MD, jur- like 
hardcore journalists that I can think of. He's been writing he's been writing a column for the New York Times called The Doctor's World, like the 70s. And <laughs> this is going to sound like a brag. It's not because it didn't pan out. But he, when I met him, <laughs> I was looking for a job when I was in D.C. And I reached out to him because I have always had an interest in the Cold War and health and science and how those kind of intersected. And he was on sabbatical from his column at the New York Times to work on a book talking about the health afflictions of different world leaders during the Cold War and how that may have impacted their policy making and, and the way that they governed. <laughs> and I really wanted to, you know, partner up um, or just, yeah, be his research assistant for that. But that's a big detour to say that like like physician journalists exist and they're out there and i know he's done like he's written a lot of really interesting articles well and so. it's actually an important thing to to do in my opinion because there is such a divide between medicine and for lack of a better term the people there's a big knowledge gap there right we, and i think traditionally your friend i can't what was his name larry alt yes he is my friend <laughs> right yeah i'm friends with the larry altman that's right larry Don't altman forget. notwithstanding and others like <laughs> uh him you send each other cards at the holidays of course yeah, yeah sorry i didn't hire you how did you know yeah but i still I, well, love okay. you i don't know about like it it didn't pan out i think oh because it, i remember it was unpaid and oh, yeah. i was living in dc Can't and i that. needed not, money and i couldn't work two jobs at the same not time a thing you can do in dc yeah it, it is sort of traditionally not been the purview of physicians to be a part of the discussion on health and health policy and whether that meant journalism or explaining things to people i think basically a lot of the default was that's not my job my job is the science my job is working with patients, and that's as far as I can go with that. And I, I guess that's valid. You, know, you can't do everything. But also there is and always has been a need for people to talk to the public about medicine and about health. And I think that's what this project demonstrates. It's so timely and so needed. Yeah, I mean, never before have we needed people to talk more about these things probably than we have right now. But we've always had this this need. Well, and it's empowering too, to, to people to have that that knowledge as patients to to be able to come to their their doctor and have useful knowledge and i i think it's like going to be important for patient physician like relationships and just because there is traditionally this like huge power gap between the physician and the patient and i think it's just working towards like making that gap smaller and i think it's yeah it's part I, i agree completely it's part of that like the way things have been trending and I've seen the difference even between the time that I started med school and talking to people who are in med school now at CECOM and I don't know how it is at other med schools but like this shift in culture from like the patient is the recipient of care to the patient is a partner in their own care and I feel like your project Apophony is very much like in the spirit of that is like communicating directly with the public you know fostering a sense of activism in the medical community which has been really absent I think in part because historically a lot of the people coming into medicine come from segments of society that don't suffer from a lot of the 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 challenges that are the social determinants of health status and things like that but and this is why diversity is important because like we're getting different perspectives we're getting different people from different parts of society now more than ever i think people living on the margins of society coming to the center to draw attention to the people living on the margins of society and yeah anyway i think it's awesome do you guys ever get pushback on the stuff that you've published? I have personally. I don't know about. Yeah, I haven't personally. I've seen a lot of like positive things come out from it. Like people in the community who aren't even see, like part of an under the undergraduate community. They sent Vijay. He like sent me a screenshot and he sent him like a text message on LinkedIn or something like that saying, I love this piece on yoga. I'm really going to implement it in my daily routine. So like seeing that, it was like, oh, you're not great? an undergraduate student. That must be like, so cool. That is, that is the, I can tell you doing the show, it's the greatest feeling to know that A, somebody was listening slash reading and and B, that they actually found what we had to say useful. And, and, and we're so enthused by the information that they reached out yeah, to express yeah. their That's awesome gratitude that and interest. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Listeners, you know what to do. Vijay, did you have a story of somebody who reached out and was like, yay? 
Yeah, about yeah. the yoga. Um, when I wrote an article about mindfulness, so that yeah, this person reached out. They're like, "Hey, I I loved your article on mindfulness. I was uh, in the military, and after the military, I suffered from blah blah blah, and I I do mindfulness now, and I really loved your article about it and like spreading the word." You want to have a cup of coffee sometime? Of course, I didn't accept this cup of coffee because COVID. But you know, it was just really touching moment. We've gone from like, can I buy you a cup of coffee and pick your brain to, can you make yourself a cup of coffee and pretend I paid for it (laughs) while you sit in your kitchen drinking it over Zoom? That's amazing, though. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. Cool. There was was actually another student like when I when I was kind of running it they had found the Iowa Harm Reduction Coalition because of an article that we had published. Amazing. That's so, cool. Like hearing that was like, oh, actually this is doing something. However, many people it's helping at least to help somebody. That's fantastic. I actually have a follow up to the communication gap between physicians and general patient. So I'm like planning a pretty neat short code episode in a couple of months and I was thinking this is a topic that isn't really at all related to medicine and the typical med student or physician wouldn't really find this interesting. So I started thinking, how can I get this topic that normal people love into the attention of a physician? So it's really interesting to see working through the opposite end to healthcare and then you guys do healthcare communication to the average person. And what I wanted to like go off of that with that context is like what what do you guys specifically do in order to make sure that you have your rules it has to be concise it has to be communicable and understandable by someone at the eighth grade reading level do you emphasize certain parts of language or topics in order to make sure that communication is clear but also interesting to your audience that's a great question actually yeah do you have any insight on that i have thoughts about it and i want to know what yours are first before I open my big fat yeah. So for me, kind of when we're when I was like working with the editors of the Daily Iowan, you know, it really was piece by piece dependent. But what we would try to focus was what there's only four hundred words, right? So it's a very short amount of space to kind of fit in your points. So a lot of the pieces that I was editing were kind of redundant, eliminating that, kind of honing in on the triangle format, you know, that they talk about and kind of writing classes when you're composing pieces, what that main topic is like fully introduced in that introductory paragraph and then kind of whittles down to the conclusion and the statement that you want readers to take away from. So it's kind of building off of that and kind of making sure that, you know, it is kind of in that format where it grabs the reader's attention and kind of leaves you with the ending conclusion and the thesis of what their their article was about. You know what I notice a lot of writing for news does well is when they start off with the stakes like what are the stakes of this subject why should why should you care about this it sounds like a nih grant like here's why yeah. you should fund my research because i study a thing that affects this many people and it really sucks i mean that's it, it, it i mean that's you're not it's, wrong. We've, we've said before, or I've said it before on the show, that a lot of a lot of getting grants and a lot of getting people to adopt a new idea is salesmanship. Salesperson. Salesperson. <laughs> Check your personal bias. Sorry. It's okay. I literally used the word salesmanship in a different meeting today and immediately was like, excuse me, salespersonship. But it's true. You've got you've to figure out the best way to communicate your idea to people. And one of the ways to do that is to talk about the stakes. And a lot of news articles I read start off with that. They don't just jump right into what the, you might consider the meat of the article or the topic. Why should you care? Even if you don't care, why should you care? I hope I've helped you, AJ. Yeah. You're, you have. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> you have once again elevated my life. Nice. I was going to say you guys really helped me, too, because I am trying to write my first ever article, and that was wonderful, wonderful advice. Mm. Thank you. Mm. What are you going to write your article? I'm going to talk about teaching compassion in medical school. Okay. Fantastic. Isn't that hilarious? Like, isn't that like, that's the whole point and yet we like, and you're not alone. There's like, we talk about this on the show all the time about how like, you can't just say the thing, you have to do the thing. And and a lot of people consider empathy and ethics and compassion just like 
it just goes right along with the process. But it yeah, really you're is, already that. Yeah, exactly. You're already empathetic. You're already compassionate. You don't need that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's. I think there's a realization in our profession that like, no, you have to actively address that and and develop a rigorous curriculum around. Yeah, that. in different ways. In like in the in the formal curriculum, in the hidden curriculum. Yeah. Um, opportunities in the extracurriculars too where can people find uh your column because the daily iowa one i think is i think it's the college newspaper for the university of iowa but people may not know where to find it can they just google it or is there an archive of everything you've written that people can access so that there, there is an archive so we actually have a website for the doctors in where we archive every single student piece that has been published through this column so it's kind of like we also have an instagram page Vijay, what's the handle because i forgot it oh boy i gotta open up i literally bleed my instagram the other day <laughs> oh my gosh. um but you can follow us on instagram the doctor is in the daily island is our instagram handle doctor as in dr we'll have regular month updates with different pieces that we've published and stuff. And then to see it in person when we do publish it, they usually have copies of the Daily Iowan in the halls of CECOM and outside Hardin all the time. So And at the Daily... Yeah, we usually publish the first Monday or, or Wednesday of every month as well. So And of course, everybody out there can check it out at thedailyiowan.com. Yep. Awesome. Found yeah. it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> well, we should put that in the in the show notes, Dave. Just a oh, link. I will do that. Were you going to do that anyway? Yeah, Am I, I overstepping? Anyway. Sorry. I'm overstepping. <laughs> uh, Pavani Gorapati, Vijay Kamalampundi, thank you for being on the show today to talk about The Doctor Is In. Appreciate that. It's been Thanks nice. Thank you so much, Dave. Yeah, you're welcome. That's our show. Aline, Sarah, AJ, Nicole, thanks for being on the show with me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Dave. And what kind of dirty bird would I be if I didn't thank you, Shortcoats, for making us part of your week? If you're new here and you like what you heard today, follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available. Our editors are AJ Chowdhury and Eric Bozart. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. I'm Dave Etler saying don't let the bastards get you down. Talk to you in one week. Hi, short coats. Look, life in medical education, life in America, life in the world is often difficult. And I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but in my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises, I want you to be able to get the help that you need. And so I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some resources that you can use. But the bottom line is that for what it's worth, I see you. I know you're out there. I wish I could do more. Maybe I can in ways that I don't understand yet or know about. But I see you and I'm glad you're here and other people are too.